and you will be my witnesses. What a day to imagine in our hearts and minds as we think about a time in our world when the witness for Christ and for the love of God will be so rampant throughout the world that no one would be able to say to anyone that they did not know who Jesus, the Son of God, was. They might choose not to believe in him. They might choose not to follow him. But at least they would have heard a witness. At least they would have seen a witness. For it is probably more important that those who do not believe would see a witness even than they would hear a witness. It is more important probably that they would know not only what someone believed but in whom someone believed. For doctrine is fickle. Much of it. Much of what we hold on to as truth about God for us and what we would want to proclaim for all persons is personal. It's received personally. It is understood personally. And it becomes what the faith is for many of us. In many times in our country, in fact, in most times in our country, what we believe morality-wise has become almost a substitute for the one in whom we have believed. To the point where sometimes people carry around in their hearts and in their minds a sense of who Christians are by what they do in any one given instance in their life, by what they believe about any one truth in the Scripture as they've perceived it. So much so that we as the body of Christ find it difficult oftentimes to even worship together, much to the consternation of those who are not Christians and try to understand which team of Christ we are on. Right? Because after all, we have all kinds of names. I can't even name them all, and I've been talking about them for 35 years. That's kind of sad. I can at least name the teams in the NFC. But if you start naming Christian teams, I would be lost. There'd be so many. And although we see ourselves loosely bound together, some do not even see that. Some can't be bound together because we don't use the same amount of water when we claim baptism. If you're not covered up in it or overcome by it, you're not baptized. If you're not baptized, you're not a Christian. If you don't receive it from the right person, surely it can't be real. After all, we all know that only preachers can serve the sacraments. Right? Where's Steve Nearman? Hold up your hand, Steve. Steve's on the board of ministry. That's what we tell all our young ordinands, right? Only preachers can administer the sacraments. I've searched for those scriptures. <laughs> Y'all going to get me in trouble if you go off and say what I'm saying up here. You know that, right? <laughs> but I do believe it's important that the sacraments be handled by those who have been trained about what they mean and administered in proper ways, I might not be quite as tied 
In some instances, as others, for instance, if I'm in the middle of the desert and somebody who's an unbeliever wants to accept Christ and there's no water available and I had part of a Diet Coke, (laughs) why not? Or if I don't have it, perhaps I can conjure up an image in the person's mind of the waters of a cold stream flowing over their body washing them clean from their sin and bringing them into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Faith that is mimicked is faith that is authentic and relevant and applicable to people who are non-believers. It is authentic because the person who is sharing faith with them is believable. It is authentic because the person who's sharing it with them doesn't claim to have all the answers. It is believable because they're not coming at them in a posture of judgment or condemnation, but rather in the spirit of kindness and gentleness and with grace. In short, it comes to them as Jesus would bring it. Faith that is caught is authentic because it has affected someone's life. It's one thing to be a student in high school and to walk in your aisles and tell the youth you run into who are not living in Christian ways that they're not a Christian. It's another to walk amongst them in their lives when they are doing things that are not Christian and to invite them to lunch or to your house to study and then in that place to share with them your faith in Jesus Christ as the reason you have a hope and a joy in living. It's different than simply saying that what someone's doing in a moment is wrong and they are wrong and looking down your nose at them as if to say to them, if only you could change and be like me. When really when they look at you, they don't even want to be like you. Because they don't see you as compassionate or graceful or loving or really caring about them. that They simply see you as someone who wants to go back to their church and tell them you shared the gospel with someone and someone was saved. And you even forgot to invite them to church. People are saved by people who care. People who are not believers are impressed by churches that extend Welcome and grace to whoever walks in the doors of that building. Whatever condition they might be in, however sinful they might have been in their past, and however little they might know about Jesus. Churches that make a difference in the world in which we live today are churches that are open. Even with the people we do not believe that their actions are what Christ would want. Because every morning, churches that are being effective have people in them who are standing in front of mirrors and looking into a mirror after 50 years in the church and saying still, with all the humility they can find in their heart, Jesus Christ, lover of my soul, forgive me, for I am a sinner. A sinner still. It's so hard for people. I, 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 
What to say today is so difficult for me. I have more notes than usual. In fact, I have some notes I'm just going to read. Some of them are so sad that I don't know that I could preach them, so I just need to read them just so that the information will be passed on. One is from a book called... um, Well, I did that last week, didn't I? Uh, It's called Unchristian. No, it's called Unchurched, excuse me. There's two of them. I read two of them much more so than others. Here's a list of the American Christians who are leaving evangelical churches for these kind of reasons that they shared. Most of them below the age of 40, although not entirely. Some singles. Some people of different nationalities. They wrote, I'm not going to church any longer because worship is stale. Because beliefs are watered down. Because congregations are the most segregated place in America, even by those who claim they love everyone. Because the Bible doesn't really seem to have much authority among the Christians that I know, at least not enough to change their lives. I'm left church because faith seemed to not demand anything from me much, No cost other than putting something in the offering plate when it's passed and supporting the bigger ministries of the church. I left the church because there seemed to be no supernatural expression in worship. It was a set of ideals and beliefs and intellectual knowledge that people affirmed, but without the sense of any supernatural willingness of God to really transform their lives. I left church... Because churches competed too much with other churches. I left church because it seems like there was a dearth, a void of good leaders who had a vision about where the church really needed to go and what the church really needed to do. I know now these are all people that left church, and so they don't really matter much because after all, they're unchurched. They left church. They didn't have enough sense to stay and change it. They just left, right? So they're just... The disgruntled, right? Do perceptions matter? Are people leaving our churches in great numbers for one reason or another? You know how that feels, many of you. You've been a member of this church for 30 years. You've seen people come, you've seen people go. You've seen them leave because they got angry, you've seen them leave because they got disappointed. You send them leave because they couldn't find a way to relate to the leadership who was leading the church at that time. Some of you probably made efforts to try and get them to come back. Sometimes many of you probably wondered if the church was really as bad as they thought it was. Not just here, but around the world. We read the scripture in 1 Peter to you because... Those words were being written to a people who lived in the midst of unbelievers, who lived in a culture that did not really accept them or Christian beliefs. We, we had the same. <coughs> we live in a culture that's not Christian anymore by the stretch of imagination. And that, that is an important thing, but the important thing is how we respond to it, is it not? People who are choosing not to be Christian, 
not just unchurched, but not to be Christian, or because they think that many Christians are really not very Christian at all. They say Christians are hypocritical. And we say one thing and we do another. They tend to think that Christians are too focused on converts without really caring about the people that they're witnessing to. They say that oftentimes when people tell them about Jesus, they so disregard the person they're talking to that the person being talked to is offended. Offended because of the lack of love or the lack of humility in the one who's speaking. They say that Christians are out of touch with reality, that they have simplistic beliefs that they hold on to regardless of the faith of the uh, availability of other knowledge at their hands. They say, the unchurched, again, many of the young, that Christians are really uninformed about many things in their own nation and about many people and the way they live. That's what they say. They also say that Christians are bigoted. They were too political. They were judgmental. I wish I could say that they're all wrong. I wish that I could say that the Christian church and the Christians who make up churches are not any of those things. But then, I'd be wrong, wouldn't I? Sometimes the biggest enemy when we a Christian goes to witness to someone else who's not a Christian is a part of that person who's wanting to share the witness that has not yet been transformed in them. Their heart, their mind, their concern for other humans is still far below what it needs to be if we're going to go and share the gospel. You hear it talked often about how unique Jesus was, but rarely do we hear talked about how humble Jesus was, how gentle Jesus was with the greatest visible sinners of his day. Jesus did not carry... Okay, I'm going to get in trouble here, but I already started, so I'm going to finish it. Jesus did not go around picketing. He did not go around closing doors, but rather opening doors. Jesus did not throw rocks at sinners, nor did he confront sinners in the midst of their sin in angry ways or in self-righteous ways. Jesus confronted sinners, except for the religious people, very kindly. Now show me a religious person who was high on his horse, judgmental, standoffish, thinking they were better than others because of their God. And I can show you a Jesus who's really not happy 
who's really mad, who's really angry at the people, his own people, who are portraying God in that way. We talk about how do we share a witness. We talk about what does it mean for the world to view Christians in such a negative light, and we have to admit that sometimes we're the cause. Sometimes we, as a group, are the reason that people have left church. I can remember sitting in a church once who shall go unnamed. I'm sure, I hate to admit it was a Methodist church, but it was a Methodist church. When we started talking about a family that was struggling and needed some help in the community and were really without resources, and I remember distinctly one man standing up and saying, well, that family's never amounted to anything and they never will. How fortunate for that man that I was not God. <laughs> How fortunate for that man that God is so merciful that even when such blasphemous words could be spoken in God's own house, that he was not struck down by lightning that he deserved for his callous, judgmental, uncaring heart. There's a reason that God doesn't judge our actions, but rather judges our heart. Because you see, our heart is the source of our actions most of the time. But a lot of times, even when we have a pretty good heart, our actions stink. We do it badly. We witness poorly. Because we usually and often witness to somebody we're already mad about. Or somebody who's doing that sin we cannot stand. You know, the one that we don't have. Yeah, that's really the way it is, right? You know that group. You want to call them out by name? I don't. But every generation seems to have its few sins. It used to be, years ago, <laughs> that, you know, if you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't go with girls who do, you're a pretty good boy. It used to be if you didn't drink and you didn't gamble and you didn't commit adultery that everybody knew about, you're a pretty good person, especially if you didn't drink. Did I say you couldn't drink? And, and I don't know how that happened, but churches that would serve alcohol as real communion, well, oh, my Lord, or they would have a social gathering and serve alcohol, they certainly couldn't exist in the South very well. And then a funny thing happened. God moved all the Westerners and the Northerners south. And now everybody comes to Methodist Church saying, we want to have a wedding, we want to have a celebration, we want to bring in some wine, and we go, oh, no, don't bring any wine in this house, you know. You know that wine could be what would destroy the world. At least in the South. And besides that, do you know what the one denomination would say about us if they knew we were serving alcohol at the Methodist Church? Now, the Episcopalians know they're already saying it about them, they just don't care. Because you see, maybe perhaps it's not quite as legalistic as we think. Now, be clear. Let's be real clear. I'm not suggesting that you make a habit out of drinking alcohol. Are you all clear about that? And especially if you're underage, you don't even have any business handling it, much less consuming it. Are we clear about that? I'm not suggesting that. I'm also not suggesting that when you go off to college, that's a perfect time to blow your mind. You got that? You got that clear? Just want to be clear. Okay. Right? You got that on the front row? 
Yeah, move, they're move, you're moving it around. Your youth are scattering on me. When they move around, they're trying to see if I can find you again. I will find you. Don't worry. I will not forget you're here. But we're supposed to be talking about what we would do as witnesses. Well, we wouldn't do any of those things I just read about, okay? So, please... Do not be fooled. When someone walks into this place that is any way open to the grace of God or to hear about God, they will be welcomed. And if I hear that one of you is not welcoming such a person, I will turn you over to somebody. I don't know who. <laughs> Another John judgmental Christian who will straighten you out, probably. That would be the best cure for you. You know, then y'all could just go at it. Because you see, yes, I know some things are wrong, and I know there are truths that are eternal, and I believe those. I just believe there are a lot fewer of them than most people do. At least the kind that separates you from God. Because you see, I still have hope for even you. I still have hope that you who are only partially transformed are going to be fully transformed. I still stand in front of the mirror and look at myself and go, I have hope for that guy. That though he loves the Lord and though he serves God in many ways, that person is not all that person intended God to be. That person is not perfect. That person is not the example 24-7 that God could point to and say every thought is pure, every motive is good, every action is not selfish. I enjoy getting my paycheck. Keep giving. I want to be paid. I worry about retirement, and then I worry that I'm worried about retirement. Because, you see, we are all sinners. Have we got that part clear? I, I don't want us to forget that we're all sinners, because sometimes, especially when we get ready to give a witness to that person who's such a louse, we forget that we, too, are still sinners. And if we can just remember that before we open our mouth, before we open our mouth, on the way to their house, if we can remember how many times we disappointed Jesus in the last two days, I'm not even talking about the week, I'm talking about the last two days. Maybe even the very job we work. Maybe what we said to our children, or what our children said to us. Maybe even in something we thought that nobody knows about but us and God. You do know that God knows you got that, right? You, everything that goes through, yeah. God gets all of that. I, I don't understand it either, how he does it, but just trust me, he does. So if you're just a great big thinking sinner, not a great big doing sinner, don't be too comfortable. <laughs> because God knows what you're thinking as well as what you're doing. And God knows it is making it hard for the church of Jesus Christ to be triumphant. One understanding sinner who cares about someone else genuinely and compassionately and sacrificially has a chance to be some small way used by God to say a word of hope. A word of hope to a person who's seeking new life. Now, at the end of this book called Unchristian, they had some suggestions. Rather than being other things written there, they said we ought to be loving. We ought to be 
authentic. It's a word that keeps coming up in current literature about Christians. We need to be courageous, but with humility. We need to be restorers of humanity, just like Jesus was, sacrificially doing whatever it we, is needed to be done to let that person see God. We need to be transformed ourselves daily throughout our lives for the work of transformation takes a lifetime to fulfill. We need to engage the people that everybody else, especially the religious people, are talking about. That's hard to do. For me, I'm trying to think, but I think I'm going to change my illustration on that one. Being a country boy raised in a small country town, it's sometimes hard for me to talk to men who, have, who are wearing jewelry in all kinds of strange places. <laughs> I don't know why, it just, it just bugs me. It's hard for me to take an order from a waitress who can't speak clearly because stuff is stuck in her tongue. I don't, I'll admit it, I don't get it. But you know what? I still order my food. So it's okay for a person that I don't get their customary ways to still embrace them as a human being even if I don't like the color of their shoes or the lengths of their dresses or how tight their clothes are or lots of other things. It's okay to go ahead and just love them. It's okay. It's okay if they publicly don't do a lot of things that Christians should. It's okay to be hanging around them if you're hanging around them with the intent to love them and to care about them and to form a relationship with them that will someday earn you the privilege of sharing with them why you do that. Because love does win out eventually. That's what Jesus believed, and that's why he submitted to the cross. Because he believed that love really eventually did win. Not guilt, not screaming, not calling people names, not judging the obviously guilty, but rather loving them beyond where they were and holding out a word of hope. Peter says it this way, Be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame so let the world think that all we're trying to do is get them saved and let's just keep on loving them anyway let's keep on opening up our hearts to them anyway Let's keep on trying to serve them even when they laugh at us and make fun of us. Let's keep on giving them money when we know they're living an awful life and walking out the door telling others what a sucker those Christians are to keep giving me money for food. Let's keep on doing it anyway. Because every time we express love for others sacrificially, we make a difference in their lives whether they admit it or not. My parents, God bless their hearts. My daddy's with the Jesus now. My mama's still hanging around making sure we behave. 
They had to tell us about God's love many, many times. And they had to show us about being authentic many, many times before it finally would sink through our heads. I don't know how many times my daddy sold a used car and set it out on Beltline Road in Garland uh, when there still were houses there, not businesses everywhere. And the traffic would roll by and he'd put a car out for sale and he'd sell it in two or three days. And, you know, about the second time he did that, I said, Daddy, you could have got more money for that car. Don't you get it? That's why everybody's buying the cars you sell, because you could get more money. And he looked at me, like my daddy typically did, when he, not like I was a worm or an ant, but maybe like a, an unknowing son. But he was tall and I was not. And at that point, I wasn't large, and he was. And he would look down at me, he just said, I only tried to sell it for what it was worth, and that's all I wanted. And then he turned around and walked off. And I'm thinking, but you could have gotten more. You could have made some more money, better ball glove. Don't you get it, Dad? Yeah, I do get it. I really do. Authentic. Being authentic is what the world needs to say. And I don't mean authentic when it's easy. I mean authentic authentic when it's tough. When it's not easy to be a Christian. I think I've covered part of what I thought I was going to say today. Hmm. That was a pretty good line there. People are suffering out there around us. They're angry at God. Many of them are depressed. Most of them are exhausted. And God knows how many are discouraged. Propositions... Statements about what we believe is just not enough in this culture. They need to know that we care. That we genuinely love them like they are. It's like a school teacher. The good ones. You say, how do you know the good ones from the ones that aren't good? Well, there's several ways, but let me give you the most obvious. The good teachers are the ones who don't treat every child the same, but love all the children equally. So the troublesome student, the student that causes all the trouble in class, the students always pushing the teacher, they get more of the teacher's time and attention lovingly because they need it, because probably things aren't right at home. Good teachers know that. Good Christian teachers go where the need is. You can tell the ones that do. They're the ones who don't hang around while the teachers are gossiping in the workroom about the students. You know, you didn't, did you know they did that? I could ask how many of you are school teachers now, but that would really be meddling. And it wouldn't be kind, and it wouldn't be gentle. So just 
Good teachers do not form opinions about students in the class because the teacher of the year before told them how bad they were before they ever arrived. Is this my day to pick on teachers? Sally, where are you out there? There you are over there. Hi, dear. She retired. Don't worry, I'm not talking about you now, dear. But Sally was always helping the students who were a little slower or had trouble going on at home. Sometimes they ended up coming home with her. Yeah, I know it's not legal. I even heard you're not supposed to talk about Jesus in the classroom, but, you know, that's always been done. And it always will be done, legal or not legal, by the way. So if you're a teacher, you just have to be smart about how you do it. But that's another sermon for another day. The Christian faith is personal. It's personal. Believing the right things is important. I spend a lot of my time teaching because I believe believing the right things helps us. But being the right person is always more important than believing the right thing. So when you get ready to witness, do a heart check first. Be sure you're ready. Be sure you're not there to speak against something, action in that person's life. Be sure you're there because you're concerned about if they know the love of God, if they've ever felt the love of God. Be sure that's the reason you want to witness. And if, when you're sure about that, then just, just relax. And just talk to them. Just talk to them gently. Don't come up to them and, you know, do something silly like slap them in the head or pop them in the nose and say, you ought to be acting better. Don't do that, right? All that does is get you hit back, right? By the way, if they hit you, don't hit them back. Now, that was in that book back there I was reading from, too. Win them over with love and kindness. Why? That's what Jesus did. And that's why you're here. You're not here because you all think perfectly. You're not here because you all understand perfectly. You're not all here because God likes you better than others. Or because you even have the right theology. Sorry. You're here because you love God. Now, for crying out loud, when you leave here, love God. And love God in the face of every human you meet. And every human you meet that starts to turn your stomach because of the way they're living, get on your knees and ask God to forgive you for the thoughts you're thinking about that person created in his image. Do it. Try it. Try giving a loving witness, not about homosexuality, to a person who's attracted to the same sex. Try talking to them about Jesus. Leave what they're doing out of it. Who knows, they might give you the same break. Why pick on that sin? Oh, I don't know. Just because it's the sin that's trying to tear up our society. It's a sin that the devil is using. Let me back up. It's the action that the devil is using to try and separate churches from unbelievers. 
It's the action that's the greatest tool right now in the devil's hands to separate those under 30 from the organized church. Because we appear so bigoted and judgmental that they won't pause to hear anything else we say because we reject a whole other group of people for their actions that they say are natural. Now, if you think you're going to drag me into a debate on homosexuality and whether it's sinful or not, you're not. Don't email me. Don't write me. Don't make an appointment to come talk to me about it. Because I've already read more than you have probably. And quite frankly, I have my own opinions about homosexuality. But I have one opinion about humanity. One opinion. And that is that God has called me to love every one of them. And with God's help, I will do the best I can at that. Will you join me?